gorgeous. We made it. Howdy. Well, you know, about time. Uh, welcome. Welcome to uh, my, my podcast. For, for those of you guys who don't, uh, don't, don't know us, uh, Sarah uh, was actually the one who inspired me to do a podcast. So thought it was fitting uh, for her to be the first guest on it. Well, congratulations on getting it started. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, hopefully, this is not the first of one. Hopefully, actually, you know, do this. Uh, maybe maybe we can be accountability partners on this as well. <laughs> yeah, it takes a lot of time, but there's been a lot of good that's come from the podcast, so I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, for those of you guys, uh, first podcast, you know, I'm assuming you came through some my social media. Uh, but if you don't, I'm Jeremy Worden. I'm the host of haven't even named this podcast yet. It's called the Jeremy Worden Podcast, where uh, I interview just interesting people. Uh, a large number of them are going to be my colleagues uh, in the short-term rental space, given that's that's what I do. Uh, but really just trying to have conversations with uh, interesting folk. Uh, Sarah, uh, welcome. For those who don't know you, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, how we met one another. Um, yeah, and let's get going. Yes. Okay. So for any of you listeners who are unfamiliar with me, my name is Sarah. I am one half of the Carwells on socials. Um, I am also an Airbnb investor, just like Jeremy, but me and my business partner, Emily, really started in the design space of designing Airbnbs. Um, we've been at it for three years and we have, you know, kind of done everything under the sun. We've designed, we've educated, we've invested, we've partnered, we've expanded, we've scaled, we've done everything in between. So we've got kind of a broad knowledge on the short-term rental space. And we met Jeremy through social media a few years ago now, actually. Um, and we helped him design a property and we've been kind of running side by side ever since. So here we are. Awesome. And something I want to get into, and I think is, you know, kind of uh, unique uh, viewpoints that, that we have on, on the game is kind of the short-term rental lifestyle. And I don't mean, you know, uh, when I talk about that, a lot of uh, times on social media, I, I see our peers kind of posting about how, you know, they're on a beach and wherever, or, you know, they're they're living, they're on a boat in the middle of the water and, you know, the, the business is running itself and they're, you know, getting all these, you know, passive income and, and owner payouts, which is definitely, you know, the, the owner payout part is, is part of it. But really, you know, uh, yourself and, and you know, myself, largely uh, the last couple of years have really just, you know, kind of been going property to property, uh, setting these properties up, which is not that live on a beach, uh, you know, um, drinking, drinking your, uh, drinking your five o'clock uh, drink, you know, at a at 10 a.m. lifestyle. I mean, you know, probably some drinking involved uh, in a lot of this, but, but yeah, tell us kind of just about your, like, like your lifestyle. That's really what I want to dive into is like, what do you do? Like, what'd you do before short-term rentals? Like, what'd your day look like before? And, you know, kind of give us that, that view into like uh, a day in the life, like what it looks like now for you. Yes. So previous to going full-time and all in on Airbnb, I was working in an architecture firm called Rogue Architects in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, and we did mostly like commercial spaces. So I helped like design Starbucks and Home Goods and TJ Maxx and McDonald's, all sorts of, you know, corporate design projects. Um, but it was truly a nine to five, you know, Monday through Friday, 
Um, and honestly, my boss there at that company really dove off the Airbnb deep end with me. And we both started investing in Airbnbs um, using the arbitrage model in Dallas, Fort Worth. And for me, it just exploded. <laughs> it just was like, oh my gosh, this is it. I love this so much. Um, and so, you know, I, I honestly, I quit my nine to five the beginning of March in 2020, because I had scaled from one to four properties. And I was like, I'm working with investors, I'm going to keep scaling, we had the money for it. Um, and then COVID hit like a week later. And so I had to go back to my boss and be like, Okay, I'm retracting <laughs> my two weeks, like I still want to work here for a while. Um, and so I did both from March until November, and then November of 2020, I actually quit. Um, and haven't looked back since. But in quitting and in transitioning into this entire short-term rental journey, it's been chaos. I mean, the day in the life is definitely not for everyone. There is very little consistency around it. Um, my husband and I bought a van in 2020, a Volkswagen old school Vanagon van. And in March of 2021, after we had kind of stabilized our own portfolio post-COVID, we just wanted to let it run on its own. And we wanted to make sure that it could run on its own so we could scale. Um, and so we got in the van March of 2021 and we just anticipated like leaving for a few months and then coming back to Texas and building in Texas. And in those four months of being very disconnected from regular society, like I didn't have a job and I wasn't scaling. So I really wasn't doing anything besides designing for people remotely. Um, it just opened up a whole new world for Ethan and I, and we were like, do we want to go back to Texas? Like, what are we waiting for? Like, we've got the capital for this. Why don't we just jump off the deep end and, and buy a property and, and kind of get our feet wet there? Um, so we left Texas March of 2021, expecting to return in a few months. And now <laughs> we're still chronically homeless. We, we still, I'm literally like looking out the window, looking at our van and we live in the properties that we're renovating. And then when we're not living in the properties that we're renovating, we're living in the van or in a property that's complete if there aren't guests there. So we've been, what we like to say, uh, is chronically homeless for the last year and a half, just building a real estate portfolio. So to your point, it is not um, beaches and Mai Tais at 10 a.m. It's very much um, construction, living in a construction zone, and if not living in a van and just being nimble to go around to all these properties when they have emergencies as you start, you know, turning that wheel and, and working out all of the fine tuned things that have to happen in that first year. So it's been chaos, but it's like chaos that's perfectly catered to us. We love it. Yeah. And, and kind of going through that. So, um, and, and just, you know, something I like to, uh, kind of, you know, you know discuss with my, uh, my people is that there's, there's not one way of doing Airbnb. Uh, there are a multitude of different strategies. Uh, I happen to, you know, kind of have a experience with all of them. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, in hindsight, I should have been doing everything, but whatever. But you're also kind of similar where you've, uh, A, like, um, you know, yourself, and I know, and you can get into this different strategies you've done. Uh, but then you've also employed, you know, uh, folk uh, to help manage or co-host your properties too. Uh, so yeah, just kind of talk, kind of just kind of, can you go into kind of your, uh, the different Airbnb strategies you've done in, uh, and then also just kind of the difference between them. Like, you know, when you're setting up an arbitrage unit, it doesn't require, you know, you to stay there for two and a half months and, and, uh, you know, renovate the property and get the electrical set up so you can put in a hot tub. Uh, it's really a different, you know, it's, it's, it's really a different 
time uh, time time process or, or time suck, so to speak. So yeah, just just kind of yeah, give it give it the background on 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 you know your journey with short term rentals. Yeah, yeah, you make a super good point. <laughs> the different strategies require totally you know different things from you. So we started in arbitrage in 2019, and for those of you listening, if you don't know what arbitrage is, it's where you rent a space, furnish it, and then re-rent it. So you're losing that ownership component. Um, but with that being said, it costs a lot less to get into it because you don't have that huge down payment that you have on houses. Um, but we started in arbitrage and really our goal in starting in arbitrage is that I had no real estate experience previous, previous to this. Like I wasn't a long-term rental host. I wasn't a real estate agent. I just didn't know really anything about real estate other than the design component of being in architecture. And so we chose that because, you know, at the time I was making $50,000 a year after taxes and, you know, 401ks being pulled out, I think I was actually taking home like 35 grand, (laughs) you know, and it's not a ton of money to work with, um, to invest in an actual property. So I spent an entire year saving up every single dollar that I made. We were living on the, at the time on my husband's income exclusively. And so at the end of that year, I was like, okay, paying off my student loans, and then I'm going to take the last 20 grand and we're going to invest it somehow. Um, and at the time, my husband's business, we had we built it up. It was an insurance agent, or it is an insurance agency. And that was doing so well that Ethan was like, look, I think I can retire you. You can kind of be done working. And for me, that was like a death sentence. I was like, no, <laughs> I cannot not work. That's going to put me in a very unhealthy mental headspace. And so I just had set out a goal to make the money that he was making grow. Um, and so I took that 20,000 that I earned, I invested it in four arbitrage properties and those four properties were one bed, one baths. And I mean, all four of those properties to install them, it took under a month. You know, what I like to tell people is when we were like rapid fire designing for investors and investing in our own arbitrage properties, it would take us about a week to put together one, one bed, one bath. And so that timeline is really condensed. So as you can imagine, like if you're getting into arbitrage, you can sign a lease and you can have it up and running in under two weeks, no problems, as long as you've got your systems tight. Um, and we did that for a while. But, you know, on the back end of things or hindsight, I I was inexperienced and I didn't really understand why it was so valuable to have really long leases for these arbitrage properties. And so now looking back, you know, I'd only signed a year lease or a year and a half lease. And out of the four properties that we had this year alone, we've had three landlords that have just been like, nope, we're done dealing with Airbnb. We're walking into a recession. We want someone who this is their full-time home. We don't want it to be a business. We don't trust what the economy is going to do to short-term rentals. And so they've booted us. (laughs) So although the timeline's shorter, they're just for us personally, we were like, look, I we're sick of having this third hand in the pot. We just want it to be me and my husband that kind of control the entire scenario with these B&Bs. And so we started on the purchasing game. And so we bought our first property last year um, and it was a pretty big fixer upper. I mean, it wasn't a huge renovation where we had to like hire construction teams or anything like that, but it did take us like six months to bring that property to life. Um, and both of us were still working full time. I was still at the time designing for you. You were one of the projects that I was working on in that period. And my husband was still doing insurance full time. So it was very much like night and weekend work. 
Um, but the timeline was so much longer than what we were used to in arbitrage. And there were so many more moving parts. So like for these listeners, I mean, if you put together a property and if you've done arbitrage versus ownership, it's not apples to apples. It is apples to oranges all the way. There's just like 4x the amount of moving parts that you have to pay attention to when you're doing a bigger project. Um, but on the back end, there's just like endless <laughs> more advantages to owning a property with tax benefits and, and so on and so forth. So for us, we've kind of dabbled in those two areas. Um, and we definitely lean into purchasing. I think that's the, the route that we're going to go going forward. Um, and then the only other area that I've really sunk my teeth into is obviously design. Um, and design for us was always a stepping stone. We never really wanted to like scale that business just because there is absolutely no passive component to it. <laughs> like You have to be plugged in, you have to be working for somebody else, and it's a singular payout. So between it not being passive and it being a one-time payout, we were like, look, we want to be educated in this space. We want to rub shoulders with investors but it's definitely not something that we want to scale. And so that's why we've kind of reeled back from it since then. You got tired of uh, high maintenance and in, uh, investors or clients such as uh, such as myself, I suppose. <laughs> right? Like, no offense, but I just wanted to design. How <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah, in comparison, uh, uh, so how many different uh, investors or uh, when, you, when you were doing your you know, short-term rental design business, how, how many different clients and investors did you did you work with? Um, I would say probably 30. I think we ended up designing about 50 properties, 25 to 30 of those being just tiny one bed, one baths that were like burn and churn. And then we had about, you know, 20 properties that were bigger properties. Um, and so altogether, as far as the investor count goes, yeah, I'm sure it was 20 to 30 investors. And a lot of them were repeat clients because once you start scaling, you start scaling pretty quickly. So Gotcha. Yeah, we we tried to be a repeat client, but uh, you unfortunately, uh, I guess we caught you at the the tail end of your of of that business. Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess uh, you know, in turn, where would you rank us uh, on that thirty? What what would what would we? I mean, if you don't say number one, I won't cry. But like, I'd, I'd at least hope top ten clients. Oh, definitely top ten, top five for sure. Um, you know. In designing, it did exactly what we wanted it to do. Like my main goal for design really was to rub shoulders and build a community in the space before I had the finances to invest on my own. And I didn't go the route you did with partnerships, right? Like I didn't have anyone in my circle. Like none of my friends were making big money. Like my parents, I mean, I was a little bit of a rebellious child. So my parents also were like, whatever you're doing, like figure it out first before we drag us into it. Um, and so I didn't have the, you know, I didn't have anyone that was like excited to do this with me. Um, and so in designing for other people, we just got, you know, it was like going to Airbnb college for free. <laughs> and then also it put us in communication with so many people who have helped us past designing, right? Who just like were willing to educate us on things we didn't understand and now are either investing with us or still in community with us. So um, and you, of course, are one of those investors. And you guys were not a nightmare to work with at all. So <laughs> definitely top five. <laughs> Good. I guess what I mean, just uh, were we like younger, older, I guess, what what, what was your like, kind of client demographic? And I guess, how did we uh, compare to your normal client? Yeah, by far the youngest, by far the youngest people that we worked with. Um, mainly our investors that we work with are all people who are transitioning from long-term rentals into short-term rentals. So we would get a phone call from some guy who has 30 long-term rentals and he's like, I want to dabble in this game. Like, 
please, you know, come help me set up a property. Um, and honestly, those investors were like nightmares to work with just because when you're a long-term investor or a long-term renter moving to short-term, you're paying so close attention to like not spending extra money on anything aesthetic, right? You're like, okay, let's get a solid countertop in there. Let's get the cheapest cabinetry possible. Like do not overspend. Um, and they always say in long-term investments, you make your money when you're running your numbers on the front end. And mm-hmm. although it's like still true with short-term rentals, I think people still have that mindset where you're like, okay, put as few dollars into it as possible. And as we know, it's like, that's not the case for short-term rentals at all. So working with long-term rental investors, I was like, just didn't have my own properties, you know, didn't have properties that I own to like justify me screaming from the mountaintops to spend more money. But I constantly had to do that because I'm like, look, this sofa, this $800 sofa is not going to last longer than a year. Um, And so you guys were young, but also like one of the most educated investors that I worked with where you're not coming from long-term rentals. And so you don't have that like previous experience that's like hard to break. (laughs) So it made it so much easier. And I remember right away when we started designing your property, there were like three mood boards that we put out. And the one that I anticipated you guys wouldn't pick because it was like the most colorful, the most vibrant, the most girly you guys went with and you like trusted me in that. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a good experience if they're willing to go this route. <laughs> yeah, and definitely. Not. And I, and I think, uh, and kind of diving into that a bit, uh, like oftentimes, uh, uh, a question, you know, probably like the most common question I get is, uh, like, Hey, well, first it's like, what market is the best for Airbnb? Uh, like just automatically, you know, people kind of assumption that, you know, you just buy in the right area and, just because you bought in the right zip code, automatically, you know, you're, you're getting a profit machine. Uh, but also, it's like, how do you know that this will make money? Uh, and, I, and I think that, you know, the way of thinking about it, uh, A, it's, it's not, you know, if you're thinking about the right market, it's really what's the right property in the right market? Uh, like, because ultimately, you're crafting an experience. Uh, and people are coming to different places for different reasons. And, uh, you know, talking about like two investors could buy the same house, uh, but one could have the mindset of like, what experience do I need to create here? Uh, you know, and that, that's in terms of what amenities am I providing? But like what vibe, you know, like what, you know, if, you're, if it's a kind of you're trying to make that beach house vibe, like you're going to do that completely different than, you know, a mountain house vibe and aesthetic. Uh, so like two investors could buy the same house. Theoretically, one could put more money into it, could go higher end furniture, um, and they're just, you know, they they lose out on the one who's just really thoughtful uh, about the experience. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess in your experience, uh, you know, really, like, let's say two investors buy the same property. You know, what's your thought process for turning property, the property, uh, the subject at hand into a winner? Yes. Well, and honestly, to answer this question, I'm going to go right back to the property that we did with you guys. And I think what you did really well and what we always try to do in any property that we're designing for other people or for ourselves is pay attention to the spaces that people are going to be using and splurge on those spaces. So, you know, all the time I get investors or hosts or people who are thinking about becoming hosts, they're like, okay, what point in the process do we think about replacing countertops and think about replacing cabinetry and think about replacing flooring and like all of these, you know, hard surfaces that don't really add to the experience. Like they they may play a small factor in the marketing with the photos and whatnot, but they don't really prioritize the guest. And so like with your property in Florida, 
you guys spent exponentially more time, effort, and money on the exterior space than you did on the interior space. And that was brilliant for that house because where are people going to be spending their time when they're in Florida? In that backyard. And so you guys were so intentional about that. And that's why it's performing so well, right? And same thing with like our property in Michigan, right? We spent time on the interior. We did a good job, made sure that it's, you know, aesthetically pleasing, Instagrammable, serves for marketing purposes. But we spent extra time on the screen and patio, on the outdoor fire pit area, on the hot tub. And so all of those things, when you're thinking about designing a house, it's like top of the totem pole should be, okay, what are people coming here for? And how do we make that experience that they're having the thing that we're spending the most money on? Because at the end of the day, it's not, do I love this flooring? Do I love this countertop? Am I obsessed with this sofa? All of those things do play a factor further on down the totem pole, but top priority should be what experience am I offering the guest and how do I put extra effort into that experience? Yeah, what I'm going to do, so for those uh, watching this on YouTube, uh, which hopefully I have figured out how to post this on YouTube uh, at this point, uh, we're just, I'm going to show the property that Sarah helped us with. Uh, just, you know, we're talking about it, but we kind of, let, let's just dive into, yeah, well, how are we intentional about crafting this experience? And, and I want to preface, I'm not happy about this 4.74 stars. Uh, we had one guest who gave us a two-star review. That does happen. You know, you get the wrong guest and it just, you know, sometimes they're OCD about every little thing and they give you a two-star review. So let's ignore that. But yeah, let's dive into it and kind of like, what was the thought process behind this house? Uh, I know you said starting with this outdoor area, which is, you know, what we highlight in our first photo. I guess like what, you know, when we were talking, we, what, you know, this is South Florida, it's 10 minutes from the beach. You know, what were we talking about? What were we thinking about? Yeah. So first and foremost, I screen this on every single social media platform with those loungers. Like if you are going to be hosting X amount of people, you want to make sure that you can cater to that many people. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have the exact same amount of loungers that you have people because it's unlikely that everyone is going to be tanning at the same time. But you see so many people who have a, a backyard patio with a pool and they'll have like two loungers hosting 16 people. And you're like, okay, like you guys are going to be fighting over those loungers, right? Like who's going to be sitting out here? And so I remember on one of our fo first phone calls, you're like, I'm adding this huge like tiki bar situation in back. And I'm like, holy cow, yes. Like for you to prioritize shade, right? Like not only is the tiki an experience for sure, it's like very, you know, Southern Florida situation. Yeah, the house did not come with this. Let's, let's preface. The house did not come with, and like I could paint the picture of what the backyard looked like before this. It was like this bush in the back here times a, th a million. It was it was like a, it was a rainforest or I guess in Florida, what it's, it was an Everglade. Literally, it was all in the, the previous owner had only done plants indigenous to Florida. Uh, so they were not happy when they heard out. We literally ripped them all out minus this bush here. I think we kept this bush and the in the palm trees. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we put in fourteen hundred all these like dark gray pavers here. We put in 1,400 square feet of pavers. Yeah. Um, that was the first thing we did. We just wanted it to be clean. You know, we didn't want guests like stepping in mud, you know, tracking mud into the house. So we, you know, literally ripped out everything and put in, you know, cement pavers. Uh, then from there, you know, we saw that the comps that were performing well had this tiki hut. So we got a tiki hut. Um, it was a massive tiki hut and we needed to make sure that, you know, there was power electrical lighting so that that was kind of what we focused on and then we were like sarah 
what furniture do we get? You know, what do we put in? So everything that we bought in the outside area, including those, those loungers, including all this, you know, this was uh, Sarah, you know, Sarah order. Uh, so yeah, sorry, keep going. I don't, mean, I don't mean to cut you off, just given the context of this particular property we're looking at. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a huge renovation on that backyard. That was by far where you poured the most money, but it was like, so necessary for you guys to perform in the 95th percentile. And I think you bring up a really good point too on comping these properties because what I always try and get people to do is like if I'm giving a one-on-one consultation and people are like I had one of these last week where it was a guy who has a property in Scottsdale and he's got these like three gorgeous properties that he just skimped all over the backyard. And so I literally I was like, "Okay, here's your property." And I went through and pulled up the three closest comps to him that were like booked out for months. And I was like, "Look at your backyard and their backyard." And it's like these little differences, right? It's like, "Okay, this person has a tiki hut or this person has a grill or this person has a dining set outside and he didn't he didn't have it dressed up at all." And so everything else was exactly the same for him. But he didn't beat his competition, right? He didn't stare at his competition and look at it and say, okay, these are the boxes I have to check. And then to outperform them, I need a few more boxes. Instead, he like skimped and he was like, well, I'm sure I'm going to get the same traffic, even though I skimped out on X, Y, and Z. No, like for you guys to look at your competition and say they have, you know, a tiki situation in the backyard. We need that too. You have to, right? If you want to outperform them and people are looking at these properties and they're saying, okay, it's either property A or property B and they're both similarly priced, but one has one added amenity, that person is going to take all your business and you guys didn't do that. And now it's you know a great performing property. Um, and then if we shift onto the interior, like we chose a really colorful design. Like this isn't something that you might put in your normal everyday home. You might get sick of all these bright colors. You might get sick of velvet green curtains. Like they're all a very bold choice. But at the end of the day, it's like when people are scrolling through these photos and they're looking at a million houses in in Florida, you need something with color that's going to be like grab someone and be like, wait a minute, this is interesting. Like, let me stop and just scroll. And if you can capture that immediate attention with a lot of bold colors and a lot of interesting pieces, then you have a much higher chance of getting that booking, but also it boosts you in the algorithm because you're getting so many people to stop and click. Yeah. And I, I look at this. I remember uh, you told us I had never done the fake, the foul, I don't know, F-A-U-X plants. Don't get real plants, guys listening. Uh, a tangible tip here. No, no real plants in your Airbnb, only fake plants. And I remember we sent you the pictures and you laughed that we didn't shuck this uh, fake plant. Like pull those leaves apart. It looks like you took it out of the box and set it in the corner. That's what we did, dude. That's exactly what we did, dude. We did not. Yeah, I don't even know. I tried to after, and I was like, yeah, I gotta. I I give up. This is too. This is too hard. <laughs> like I don't. I don't know how to shuck these things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it worked itself out. If there, if you had to make one mistake, that was the mistake to make. <laughs> and and also, so you you were very helpful. So when we were under contract on this house, the owners had you know different furniture in there. Uh, like this couch, for instance, and you helped us uh, kind of decide which furniture we should keep. And it's actually uh, something I'm, we're under contract on another property right now. And uh, literally, uh, same exact thing, you know, we're going back and forth about the furniture, you know, they, they want us to give furniture in lieu of repairs, but I don't necessarily want all their furniture. Uh, but you were super helpful. Like, the, yeah, this couch, you know, you advised us on keeping it. Even though I looked at it before, I was like, oh, it looks like a dumpy couch. You're like, put some throw pillows on it, put a throw blanket. It's good enough. Yeah, it's not offensive enough to get rid of. <laughs> exactly, exactly. 
But now talking about this new property, <laughs> you know, I don't know, I, I guess maybe be a cool exercise just to like look at it and just say like, just looking at photos of a house that's for sale, what jumps to your mind in terms of like, wh what you would do to it? Uh, like what potential it has? You know, what, how would you how would you think about it in terms of like a high level of okay, people are coming to this property for this reason. This is the amenities we need to provide. And this is the vibe uh, we create. Uh, I did not get on this podcast to get free consulting advice from you, <laughs> but I think it would, if, that, if it's okay with you, I think it'd be a cool exercise because uh, I really want people to understand that, again, it's more than just bedrooms, bathrooms, sleeps this many people in this market. Like there's a lot more to it than that. And people need to have a mindset shift uh, to be really successful in this game. Yes, 100%. Um, I covered this on, so if you follow us on Instagram, we do a thing called Tip Tuesdays and we let a bunch of people ask questions and we answer them. And so one of the questions this past week was, um, at what point do you replace doors and windows in your property? And so it just like brought me back to, okay, when I'm walking into a property, like what am I paying attention to? And at what point do I replace those things? And so I think, you know, for me, I, I want to keep moving forward on lake house PMBs in Michigan, right? That's that's becoming more and more my niche. Yeah, it's good. There's a lake house in North Carolina, so probably some parallels there. Yes, and and so like right off the bat, it's like okay for me when I'm looking at houses in an area that I've dubbed worthy of pursuing for Airbnb. Step one is like okay, what are the outdoor amenities? What is the experience of the property in general? And so like when you're looking at lake houses, you can get a property on the lake or for half the price for the same size property, you can get a property that's right across the street from the lake. And for me personally, it's a non-negotiable to be on the lake. Like I, I think that there's nothing more disappointing than when you pull up to a property and you can't like just walk out to the water or your first view in the morning is the water. And so it's like a combination of if I imagine real estate investing, like traditional long-term real estate investing, and then investing in hotels. And how do you like combine those two things together to have that perfect mix for short-term rentals? And so I am super willing to pay exponentially more for a property specifically for that view. I mean, you see the properties like in Gatlinburg or in Michigan or anywhere when you have a view that changes your overall profitability and your appreciation of the house, right? So you're kind of getting a win on both ends. Um, but that's first and foremost is like the land that the property is on. Does it have a view? Is it unique? Is it an experience? Is it adding to the overall, you know, plus signs of that specific property? Um, second thing I'm paying attention to is like, of course, we've got some sort of a bathroom and bedroom requirement that usually happens on the front end where you're like, okay, what properties are making the most money here, which are the least saturated, so on and so forth. Um, but like in this lake house I'm in, we had an idea of the size property property we wanted. And we toured four properties that were in the area that were on lakes that all had the same, you know, bath bedroom, bathroom count. And so at the end of the day, what what sealed the deal for this specific property versus all of the other ones is the wow factor. And so for me, the wow factor in this specific property was an entire wall floor to ceiling of windows where when you walk into the space, you're like greeted with this insane, you know, huge view of the lake and no other lake house had that like really dramatic view. That A-frame, that like um, high ceilings with like an expansive view. Yep, exactly. And so when I'm touring the properties, I'm really paying attention to if any of them have any sort of a wow factor. And the wow factor varies, right? It's not always a view. 
Um, but really that's what pushes me over the edge is like, is there something in this property that is going to be just an absolute jaw dropper? Yeah. And to me, so the one we're looking for those of you who are uh, tuned in on YouTube, uh, but yeah. And for those who are not just in context under contract, even yes, even in today's Sarah and I are both buying properties, even in today's, you know, high interest rate, high price environment. However, it's like you said, it's that unique property with those wow characteristics. It's, it's something that does not come on the market every five minutes. You know, it's something that once you, when you see, you know, you got to jump on it. Um, and it's something that, you know, you need to be able to spot, you know, is super important. So for this one, what I thought was unique about this was the flat backyard. Uh, you know, a, a lot of the houses, uh, you know, this is a North Carolina lake, so it's, you know, different than a Michigan lake. The water is a lot browner, I must admit than, you know, the Michigan lakes. But a lot of times you kind of have houses that are like up in the trees, you know, and you have to take these big stairs down to get to that property. This one, I mean, what I thought, and Sarah, I mean, I guess what's your opinion on this is, was just the huge flat backyard. I mean, the property lines all the way over here. I was like, we could do so many cool things to this backyard. And it's a lot less expensive to do things on the backyard of a property than it is to, you know, entirely, you know, re reconfigure a floor plan. Yeah. And this property has so much potential, right? It's like, it's almost like a gut feeling. After you've toured so many properties, you'll walk into a property and you're like, this checks every single box that I needed to check. And for you, I mean, this patio of this image that you're on right now. So for the people who are listening, it's an inclu completely enclosed patio, but it's like all either screens or windows. Yeah, high, high vaulted ceilings, like all screens yeah. that point out the back. Yeah, that indoor-outdoor experience where you really feel like you're outside, but you're protected from bugs and rain and everything else. Um, this for me, like this portion of this property almost would be a bigger selling point than the big front yard. And the only reason I say that is because like with our property in Michigan, where we've got this screened in patio, every single guest compliments us on that specific location. And same mm -hmm. thing with me when I'm staying in that property, like I spent all of my time in that area because it's so peaceful. It's perfect year round. And so like this area for me, if I were to see this property, I'd be like, yes. <laughs> like this area alone, this room alone, these photos of this room alone are going to draw a whole different clientele or a whole different crowd than it would for my competition. But you're right. I mean, that front outdoor area, it's like when you go to a hotel or you go to a resort, they have all of these outdoor amenities, right? Like they entertain mm. you per se on the grounds of the hotel or resort. And the same thing applies to short-term rentals, especially as we get more and more competitive. And so for you to look at this property or for me to look at this property and to have that huge front yard, Again, if you're a new investor, it's not like you have to build out that front yard day one. I mean, we probably will because it's just easier to like get it done and then not have to think about it afterward. But for someone who's a new investor, they can look at this and they can handle it in phases and be like, look, maybe I don't have all the money in the world to do this right now. But as competition keeps growing, I have the ability to expand and keep up with my competition because I have the flat front yard. I can add a gazebo. I can add a TV situation. I can add a giant fire pit. Um, and so it leaves you that flexibility to stay competitive, regardless of what the market does. Exactly. And then uh, in terms of the flow, so we got these unique features that that look, you know, kind of a resort. And this is, you know, this is obviously specific mostly to like vacation properties. If it's a property in a city, you know, that that's not necessarily what we're thinking about. And I know we've both done, you know, you through arbitrage, uh, me actually primarily through arbitrage, uh, the city, city units, which again, it's kind of like, you got to think, why are people coming here? 
Um, you know, so for a city, it's going to be a different reason than, you know, a lake house or a beach house or a mountain house. So, you know, just because this property, you know, has the huge, like, you know, high ceiling uh, patio uh, that has the, you know, bug repellent, whatever it's called, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that, you know, something five minutes from downtown, you know, downtown Dallas needs that, you know, that, that it might not be the same, uh, same amenity that guests are looking for. For that one, it might be, you know, a fenced in backyard that they can let their dog go run in. Uh, that's something that we've personally seen success with is the fenced in backyards that, you know, you can let the dog off a leash. And that's what separates the property from, you know, the downtown, downtown apartments. Uh, but in terms of the floor plan here and kind of more of like a universal thing about floor plans, uh, I'll, I'll tell you the way we thought about this house and kind of let me know your way of thinking. But I saw this, A, you know, in the background, you have, you know, the huge windows where you can see the water, but also it's just being open. Like people universally like love openness now, like the whole open floor concept. And in the future, you know, that, that trend I don't think is going away. Uh, so if you're thinking about like, you know, a, a, a property appreciating, uh, you know, the floor plan is, is, is something that is, is super important because you don't want to have to tear down walls, you know, to, to like make it match the time. So for this property, uh, you know, has the floor, you know, a super open floor plan with living area, kitchen area, all in one. And then there's two separate wings. Uh, one, you know, in my opinion, one for adults and one for the kids, which, you know, the way I was thinking about this was multi, multi, like multi-family travel or multi-generational travel uh, is our target market. So having like two separate wings, one for adults, one for kids, uh, super important. So yeah, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth in terms of the way, you know, you think about a floor plan. Uh, but yeah, give, give some insights on when you're, you know, obviously we've got the outdoor factors for these lake houses, but in terms of the interior, like kind of what's on your mind. Yeah. Well, I mean, you bring up a really good point too, of like understanding your target clientele, right? So yours is multi-generational, you know, that you're going to be targeting families and big families, right? Um, and understanding who you're targeting is going to be the deciding factor of how you lay everything out. And a lot of times, especially when I'm talking to new hosts, new investors, they're like, well, we just, you know, we want to make it cater to everyone. And that's like very counterproductive. It, it doesn't allow you to really, really hone in on who your target clientele is and securing every single one of those travelers in your market. And so for us, it's always been most advantageous to first start by understanding who the clientele is and then let that determine how we lay out the property. So for you with families, you're totally right. You're like, okay, let me let me put myself in the shoes of someone who's traveling with a family. And let me think about like, what's annoying, what's not annoying, what's convenient, what's not convenient, how I would prefer it laid out, talk to people about how they would prefer it laid out. And so like you said, with families, it's like, okay, how do we pay attention to the kids? And how do we pay attention to new moms? And how do we pay attention to elderly people who are coming? And like, how do we cater to all of those people? And that, you know, it goes all the way back to, of course, different wings of the house and the openness of it, but also the bedrooms, like it, it determines how you lay out a bedroom and what bedrooms are used for who and how you design those bedrooms. And so like for kids rooms, we're like, okay, this is going to be a bunk room. Kids are going to be in here. We're making it brighter, more saturated, more interesting. We're putting a toy box. We're adding bean bags. We're doing bunks, fun sheets. Whereas if you're like designing for whoever's paying for the property, whoever's like opening up their wallet and making that booking, 
we're spoiling them in a whole different way in the primary, right? We're like putting extra effort, a larger TV, a nicer bed, a thicker mattress, you know, maybe higher uh, thread count sheets. And then like in the general areas, um, it changes again, depending on who your clientele is. So like, you know, just understanding when you walk into a property, what those bonus rooms are for you, whether they're exterior or interior, and then letting your clientele determine how you use that space. So it just, you know, it varies. If you're, if you've got a bachelor bachelorette party situation, you might do like a giant Instagrammable wall and a pool table. And then if it's a family room, you might just like deck it out in a giant movie theater or or so on and so forth, but really understanding who that clientele is and understanding what their needs are when they're traveling helps determine every decision you make throughout that house. And just real quick, what would you do to this house? If you're just going to look at it on the photos, like, again, I'm not, uh, unfortunately, again, Sarah uh, gave up her, you know, design for others career. And I, I did cry about that uh, when she told me, uh, but for real quick, just looking at this, like what, you know, what would you do? Yeah. I mean, I would have to really dig in, but, um, one portion I would make that giant patio area into a big sitting area. I think that what we're going to find is like that area is going to be used most often in the mornings and in the evenings, right? So you're saying to get rid of the, like the dining part of it and just make it, you know, chairs, couches. I was thinking put a TV up in the corner. Um, and then actually over here, I was thinking, cause this is like kind of the flattest area of the yard put a hot tub behind not not inside here but like right behind the uh you know the the god how am i forgetting was it mesh what's it called the thing that keeps bugs out <laughs> screen yeah jeez louise uh sorry i'm good at some things but words are not necessarily them um hot tub i was thinking hot tub behind here uh and then yeah would you i guess yeah keep sorry i will shut up now what would you do <laughs> yeah i mean i don't think that a dining table is necessarily a bad idea um, mm-hmm. But what I would pay attention is making sure that you have seating in that patio for everyone. So I want to keep this. I want to keep, I want them to keep this furniture. They, they didn't send this. Uh, they didn't say that we could keep this uh, patio couch, but that's like the one thing in the house I actually really want. Yeah. And it's so nice to have an enclosed outdoor area because it allows you to have so much more luxurious outdoor furniture. Like if it's outside and it's exposed to the weather, you don't want cushions, like you don't want things that are going to get destroyed. But in this area, it allows you to, you know, really have that luxurious outdoor experience. Um, But yeah, I mean, first priority for me out here would be one strong lights, of course, like make it a vibe. Like outside, outside, outside. No, inside this room. I would put strung lights around the edge. Oh, wow. so, okay. you know, make it feel like it's an outdoor area, but allow them to enjoy the the screen and not having bugs attack them and bugs get nasty on those lights. Um, but I would make sure that they're seating for everyone. But I don't think it's a bad idea to have a dining table out there because you know people are going to bring their coffee out there, they're going to carry their lunch out there, so on and so forth. Um, so you know, kind of a similar setup to what it's got now, but you know, maybe a coffee table for that sofa area and maybe a larger dining table for how many people that you're gonna be hosting out there. Um, and then definitely a TV. And then you might consider throwing a heater or two above space the space heater. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely maybe probably just like a plug-in, plug-in space heater. Yeah. Uh, I hate the whole propane. Honestly, propane, because you always run out of propane and guest complains. You got to then, you know, your crew has to go get more propane for them. Um, <laughs> plug in. If you can plug something in, plug it in, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, you can get the ones that you can install above the doors and then plug it in or have it hardwired. And those. Mm-hmm. Well. 
Exactly. And then in terms of like color schemes. Uh, so again, I know some of you guys are listening to this. This house, uh, you know, it's very 90s. Uh, the furniture is, you know, very 90s. Uh, I think an older family lived here. And the rooms are, uh, this one actually is, you know, not so bad. Uh, light blue. But this, you know, whatever, aqua, um, I don't even know. I'm, I'm bad with colors too. Words and colors. Um, but I guess what? It's a bright color though. Holy cow. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you know, certain beach house themes, you might want, you know, bright colors. But uh, yeah, I guess what are your thoughts here from like a, a color perspective in a house like this? Yeah. So in general, for oh, those... pink. <laughs> Sorry. There's too many. You've yeah. got every room is a different color. And that's the same thing in this orange Cadillac house that I'm starting right now. Literally every single bedroom is a different color or every single room in the house is a different color. And I'm like, why? Like, I understand, you know, wanting each room to have a different experience, but you can totally achieve that while having every room still have a relationship with all the other rooms in the house. Um, especially with Airbnbs, again, because we want to pay attention to both the experience when they're in there, but also what they're experiencing when they're scrolling through all the listings on Airbnb, you've got kind of a two-part system here. So you have to pay attention to both and both are equally important. Um, what we like to do is I really like to play around with one color palette and I usually bring in two or three bold colors, but we try and kind of limit it to that. Your mid-century modern one was like all the color in the world, but typically we try and choose like complementary colors. So if you look at a color wheel, colors that are opposite of each other are the most striking when they're put together. So you've got green and red, orange and blue, and then yellow and purple. And it's like every variation of those colors together are the most striking. It's like the most complimentary people are going to like jump at it the most. And so a lot of times what we'll do is we'll pay attention to those colors and we'll incorporate them in like a more muted color palette and try and use those complimentary colors to play a game with people on the other end where it's like, whoa, that looks really good. It's striking. It's bold. Um, so I always lean into like, the orange and blues more often than anything. Um, sometimes I'll get into the greens and reds, but it turns into more of like a green and a rust color. And I think that's what I would do here is the green and rust. Um, specifically because you've got a huge focus on the outdoor space, right? So mm -hmm. the outdoor in is going to be something that I would like. And you don't mean green like this, right? <laughs> yes. I don't mean green like that. I mean like Joanna Gaines green. <laughs> Joanna, um, I'm writing that down. I don't even know what Joanna Gaines Green is, but that's being written down. Joanna Gaines Green. All right. And Rust. I mean, again, I kind of, it's like silver gold or silver uh, gray ish. No, Rust would Take be it like, it's like <laughs> orange color. So it's going to be like a, a mature, like a fall orange. Gotcha. Um, those two colors tend to both kind of play as a neutral in a lot of ways where you can mix a lot of things in with them and they still read really well, mm -hmm. but those colors side by side are super complementary. So like even the tone of this wood in the laundry room, like that wood color leans more towards orange, right? So mm -hmm. I would green in here and those two are going to play really, really nicely together. Um, so I always try and kind of stick with those, like pick two bold colors and then kind of build the neutrals around it. Um, and then those colors complement, then even better. Um, but I mean, even the outside of this house, like when I'm looking at the front of it, I would say like, even with the patio furniture right now, you've got a little bit of orange in there. And so tying in orange and green throughout the rest of the house would be probably the color palette I would move forward with. <laughs>
Definitely. And then, you know, an orange cornhole set with orange and green bags, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Okay, cool. So uh, thank you for the guidance. So, uh, now, you know, one, one thing I wanted to touch with Sarah is obviously you know, she is the premier Airbnb designer. And I have learned, you know, so much from her, even to the point where I'm literally taking notes as she was just talking. <laughs> um, but that was definitely one item is like how to think about properties, how to look at them, how to think about the experience, how to design. Uh, and then the other thing was, you know, just understanding, oh, let me unshare my screen here. We're back. Uh, and then the other thing was, again, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, but the differences between strategies, uh, the different lifestyle, you know, for your arbitrage units, you know, you said it took, you know, you, you know, a week or a week or, you know, total order furniture to set up about a month. Uh, and then you actually hired, um, a co-host for uh, these arbitrage units. So it really was that you're lying on the beach, you know, sipping Mai Tai, like if you wanted to, again, everybody's different. And the thing about short-term rentals is cool is like, you know, it creates that, you know, gives you a lot of flexibility in terms of the lifestyle you want to live. Uh, so, you know, for Sarah may not have been, and probably for myself, not sipping the Mai Tais on the beach. Instead, we wanted to, you know, reinvest and own the asset and, uh, you know, it's something she kind of covered on is a topic I largely uh, touch on that ultimately, you know, you're not in control. If you're managing a property for somewhere else uh, or you're renting from a landlord, you're not in control. They're in control. Uh, obviously, you can do best practices uh, to have a great partnership with them. However, ultimately, you know, if they sell the building uh, or a homeowner decides they want to move into their vacation house, there's really nothing you can do about it. Uh, so, okay, so I digress. But yeah, t tell us about, yeah, kind of uh, how you've leveraged short-term rentals to live the life you want to live. Uh, how, again, you know, why you decided to go with a co-host. Um, and yeah, what you want to do now and what your future, you know, now that you kind of have the freedom to do what the hell you want to do, what do you want to do? What should we be expecting from you come, uh, moving forward? Yes. So, I mean, the lifestyle component for us, like I had mentioned at the beginning, like my husband was ready to retire me. Like he was like, I'm going to do insurance. Like this is paying well. We figured it out. You found yourself a man's. Oh, he sounds like. <laughs> I'm going to go live my housewife dreams. Yeah. The dream. When should we be expecting the, the little, little car wells running around? Right. <laughs> Literally never. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, originally, it really was to just start making our money grow. And so there wasn't any like, immense pressure to like, make a certain amount of money, or it be 100% passive or anything, right? It was just like, okay, how can I make the money that you know, we've earned grow and 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 compound. And so um, at first, that was the only why. And then all of a sudden, it turned into something so much more. And again, this has never been like, how do we make the most amount of money as quickly as possible? Or like, how do I get to be a gazillionaire as fast as possible? That's never been the top priority for us by any stretch of the imagination. Both my husband Some people it is, some people it's something else. So, you know, everybody's not the same person and the approach everybody should take is not the same approach. You know, yeah. there's nuance and there's options and there's different strategies. Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll let you keep talking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally agree. And it's like, you know, that's kind of the beautiful part about real estate is that you get to really be the driver and you get to steer how it it 
plugs into your life, right? It's like, you're not plugging into real estate, real estate is plugging into you. And so for us, you know, to hire that management company, there are so many people that were like, why would you do that? Especially at the beginning of your investing journey, like you're giving away dollars that you really could be reinvesting. But like for us, when we hired that management company and we went on that four month trip in the van and we got to just like completely disconnect. I mean, the management company I had, I had hired a previous one before them. They weren't any good. And then I found the management company that I still use and they are incredible. Like they, my thing is, is like when there's an emergency, any other management company that I've used before would call me in the emergency and be like, how do you want us to handle this? And so they almost saw their role as like, okay, we'll handle the day to day. But when an emergency comes, we'll plug back in with the host. And I'm like the opposite. I'm like, if I'm hiring you and paying you, you know, 50 do not to- talk to me, just figure it out. Like, I don't want the phone call at 4am. I don't want the phone call at dinner. I don't want the phone call when I'm hiking. Like, I want to trust you and trust that you know what you do better than what I would do. And so we found that in that management company. And so in those four months that we were on the road, I think it was like the most transformative four months for me and my husband that we could have ever asked for. Like, life gets busy and life is hectic and you're running a million miles an hour and everybody's trying to figure out their own passions and, you know, their own path. But for us, it was like, you know, being in national parks and having no cell phone service for four months on end and living in a really small van, it allowed us to like reel in and have conversations for four months straight about how we wanted our life to look going forward and like be very intentional about where we're spending our time, where we're spending our money, you know, how we structure it to cater to us. And so in those four months, we just really got on the same page and we were like, you know what, like, I don't care if we're making the most money. I want the most free time. I want my life to look, you know, exactly how I want it to look. And I really want to be selfish about it. And so like, even in, you know, buying this first house, like we stayed in the, the three most profitable months out of the year, profitable weeks out of the year, because we wanted to host our friends and family and like create those memories for ourselves. And so again, it's like, it just goes back to the money not being the priority. But in turn, in starting this investing journey, I just feel like I've found the thing that I am literally most passionate about in life. Like I love setting up these properties. I love finding the properties. I love running the properties. Like I like working with the management company that runs the properties down south. I like helping them build up their business. I like plugging into other people's business. And so every single day, it's like a juggling act of just following what I find the most joy in because I'm not trying to strengthen my weaknesses, I'm trying to really lean into the things that I'm naturally really strong at, and then push off and outsource all the things that I'm not naturally really strong at. And so you know, the decisions that we make, again, it's like, it's not that they're the right decisions, it's just that they're the decisions that are best for us. Um, And so now, you know, that we've been in it for three years, we thought that Ethan's insurance company was going to be the thing that, you know, retired us and that we were going to continue building and really putting a lot of effort towards. And I think all goes well, he will be selling his insurance business by the end of this year. Um, and coming over and joining me in real estate, because both of us have just found so much more joy, passion, freedom, growth in it than we have ever found in insurance. And so, you know, for us, it's turned into something that not only has been a huge financial win, but it's also like really fueling a lot of passion behind the both of us. And so it's like, you know, we want to continue scaling this strictly because we love it, not because we feel like we have to, or because there's a dollar sign that we want to attach to it or, or that we want to be sipping my pies at 10 AM. It's just the thing that like brings us a ton of joy, gives us a ton of freedom, 
you know, increases our finances and in ways that we couldn't have even imagined. And so for us, we're walking into a season where we're going to be doing a lot of rinsing and repeating. And especially in these next few years, we just want to build a really heavy, solid foundation of real estate as we walk into a recession and just, you know, I mean, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're doing it. We're, we're, We're going all out on it. Yeah, I think that's cool because that really is, I guess, what your next two years looks like and, and what you've already, you know, done uh, kind of, you know, mirrors what, you know, my last two years, uh, you know, because we did seven properties and, you know, about two years was going house to house to house, renovating, remodeling, getting up and running on to the next one. Yeah. Uh, so I, I love that. I love that parallel. So, yeah, if I give me any help in this in this journey, uh, let let me know. Uh, honestly, probably not really anything uh, you've, you've done at all at this point. But either way, you got my number. Very cool. So and, and, and kind of again, guys, like the, the theme here is that, you know, Sarah was true to herself. Uh, you know, her what she started, you know, with two or three years ago is not where she's at now. And I do love how now you're, you know, you're also raising money and doing partnerships. Uh, again, you know, I have experience with that. Uh, you know, so I, I love that that's, that's part of your journey now, but you know, where you're in, you know, you talked about two years, you think you're going to be doing this house to house to house, but where you're at two years from now, you know, might be very different, uh, than where you're at today. So, and that's, and that's kind of the cool thing about, well, a business in general, uh, and you know, your, your journey in life, but really, you know, short-term rentals is you can kind of mold your business, uh, the way you want to, to satisfy the lifestyle goals that you have. Yeah. 100%. And we will be knocking on your door very shortly because the multifamily that we have under contract comes with uh, two pontoons. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I guess we we didn't touch on that. Uh, But yeah, that lake, the house I showed showed you guys earlier, that is where I have my uh, boat rental business. So um, not the Florida house. The the Florida house, there's no, I'm not doing boats in Florida. There's too much Florida, Florida specific variables going on. Uh, which for those of you listening, thinking about buying houses in Florida, full full year season, you know, guests come 12 months of the year. Uh, however, there are Florida specific variables that you need to be considerate about. Uh, hurricanes and insurance are probably the biggest ones of those and people. <laughs> I love the state of Florida. I love the people, but it's again, Florida specific. Uh, I digress. Um, okay. So Sarah, I guess any, any like, uh, you know, helpful things you can think about for those thinking about getting into this, you know, getting into this journey, diving into short term rentals, growing their portfolio, I guess, yeah, what, you know, what tips of advice do you have for them? Uh, what are things they should be thoughtful of? Uh, yeah, I would love to share anything you think, uh, you know, would be valuable. Yeah, I've got a few. Um, a big one for me was getting plugged into some sort of community. Um, that will save you literally thousands of dollars and so many hours of mistakes. Um, you know, this, this space and the culture that we've created in short-term rentals with the community, it's super welcoming. Um, there's so much free information out there. There's so much quality paid for content out there, whether it's courses or masterminds or mentorships or whatever else. Um, you know, if you have that entrepreneurial spirit, you've got like this big sense of independence and I can do it myself anyway. And so it seems a little counter, you know, intuitive to reach out to other people and start asking for help and, and really following someone. But 
any time that I've had a mentor to grab onto in this space in any capacity, it has absolutely served me well. It has absolutely saved me money, time, heartache, headaches, the whole nine yards. Um, so I really, I'm a big proponent for that. I mean, I think that community really is um, a huge, you know, undeserving win in a way where you've got people who are willing to give you a lot of free advice. Um, and second portion is to make sure you're intentional about running your business, not letting your business run you. You can be as busy, you can use 24 hours a day, like there will be no shortage of stuff that you have to do, no shortage of opportunities that you could latch on to. And so I know that I'm like the type of person that wants to be a yes woman. I just want to say yes to everything. I get excited by a ton. And so I have to really now be intentional about where I'm putting my time, where I'm putting my energy and what thing I'm growing. It's not very productive for anyone to be, you know, have a million irons in the fire. It's a lot more productive for you to have two or three and really hone in on those two or three. So um, just, you know, carving out a space for you to really think about how you want this to plug into your life and how you want it to change your life will then be the driver on what you decide to really, you know, sink your teeth into and spend a lot of time on because there's a million things that you could spend time on. So those two things, community and being intentional about where you're spending your time for me has allowed me to scale a lot faster than, you know, two years ago when I was just trying to please everyone and say yes to everything. Yeah. And, and just to go like pay for shortcuts, uh, whatever it might be in life. And that's like a lesson I've learned in business at this point, because uh, like time is really the biggest commodity you have. Some people have more free time than others. Uh, but, you know, if you have if there's something that's going to take you, you know, several hours to, to learn, you know, and or you might learn through trial and error, no matter what it is, whether it be Airbnb or literally anything in life, Pay for the shortcut. <laughs> that's that's like, like I, I was not that was not my way of thinking. And, that, and that's, you know, the community having people who have done something before, uh, you know, being a part and, you know, being able to an- ask questions. Um, you know, I have a Facebook group personally where I answer questions of people and um, like whatever resource you have to essentially you need help with something. You've never done something before. Someone else has tap into it. Uh, don't. That was a huge mistake I made was not doing that. So I, I think that's a very tangible tip. Um Awesome. Uh, yeah. Any, anything else? Any any other thing you, you want to share uh, before uh, I let you leave? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if you, I was gonna say I'll plug my socials, but oh yeah, plug your socials. Sorry, I'm supposed to be a good host. <laughs> right. Where can they find you? <laughs> right. As far as you know, level of importance. I'll always reiterate that don't skip design. And if you're not a designer, it's again counterintuitive to spend a lot on a sofa or a bed or so on and so forth. But short-term rentals, there truly is an ROI on splurging on some of some of those things. Um, but if you do not follow us on socials and this is the first time that you are listening to me, we are the Carwells, K-A-R-W-E-L-L-S. Um, on all socials. TikTok, Instagram is where we're most active. Um, or you can check out our website. It's uh, thecarwells.space. So you can find us at all those places. We offer a course. We offer a ton of free education. Um, and we also are looking cool. for partners. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, you guys check out uh, check out, check out Sarah and Emily. Uh, they're great. And they also are very unique. Uh, you know, in a space where there's a lot of people on social media, I, I'd say they really are in their own uh, domain. And, you know, the information they provide is extremely helpful. So definitely check them out. Thank you guys all for tuning in. It's been amazing to have you. I hope I do more of these. Uh, I hope this isn't the first one and the last one. So stay tuned. 
uh, please, you know, like, share, uh, you know, that's super helpful. Reach out to, to me and Sarah, you know, if we can ever be helpful with anything, our DMs are open. Uh, yeah. Th thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much, Sarah. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me and we'll catch you next time. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Uh, very cool. All right, guys. Have a good one. See you later.